Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a playoff edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast. Thank you for joining us. I am Kurt Heelan, the managing editor of Pro Basketball Talk, with you as always. And finally, we're talking about the games that matter, the games where it's going to be intense every night. And joining me to discuss the Eastern Conference is Dan Feldman of Pro Basketball Talk here at NBC Sports. How you doing, Dan? Good. How are you? Good. Finally, we get to some games that matter, um, games that are, you know, you just by the end of the season, you get tired of, hey, this guy's resting, that guy's resting, and, and just games that don't have kind of the same passion going on. No, that that does get old, and, and it's always fun that those first couple playoff games, maybe not the very first one that's early in the afternoon, but the next one when the level's just so much higher than you've seen all season, uh, let alone especially in, in the last few weeks, it's it's such a shock to the system. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the the, uh, the Raptors and Pacers, who we'll get to in a minute, they, they've got the Saturday early start of uh, the, the, the J.R. Smith special where, you know, guys are going to be dragging a little bit. It's going to throw their routine off. It'll be interesting to see how they adjust. But we'll start at the top with the games you're going to be going to, or at least some of them, I think. Uh, the Cavaliers against the Pistons, the one versus the eight. Obviously, I don't think any of us are predicting a, a Cavs up, uh, a Pistons upset here are we no I don't think so I mean I you know I think the Pistons are happy just to have made it and yeah so sometimes that attitude can can pay off and you play loose and free uh, I think more often though it just means that you know you've achieved your goal you should be proud of that and you don't throw in the towel but you don't have that extra edge of a team that's that's trying to like Cleveland, really trying to prove that we're ready to, to go for a title and we're going to start that right now. Exactly. And the other part of that is if you're the Pistons, this is a learning experience. This is, you've made it, you know, maybe a little bit ahead of schedule because I'm not sure, you know, at the trade deadline, even when they went out and got Tobias Harris, we were saying, I don't know that they make the playoffs this year with this move. This is a move for two years from now, three years from now when, when this team really comes together. But the sooner you can get the experience that comes with really intensely preparing for one team, for really seeing, in the case of LeBron and Cleveland, seeing how they bring a different level of energy than you saw during the regular season and a different level of intensity and a different level of preparation, that helps you. Like Stan Van Gundy can, has been there. He's been to the finals. He can preach that all he wants. 
But for young players, I think just seeing that and experiencing that and experiencing the crowds, it it it, it helps you understand what you need to do. So one thing I, I noticed growing up, uh, you know, watching the Pistons, rooting for the Pistons, was after the Bad Boys. I mean, it was a long time before they they reached the second round, and they, you know, they had lost in the first round. Sometimes they had missed the playoffs entirely. Sometimes, uh, but when they finally made the second round, I learned something I didn't really realize from from afar, and it's how much more attention you get in the second round. I mean, in the first yeah. round, yes, there's something to learn about the playoffs, uh, but there are so many series. There are eight series. You know, the, the attention on it is so spread out. When you get to the second round, it really intensifies. And that's why I think the Pistons got a good break in getting Cleveland in one way, uh, because the Cavs are such a big story. LeBron is so huge. I don't know if it's going to be quite second-round attention, uh, but it's going to be closer to that. And if these Pistons, you know, feel like this is a team that they can build around and, and grow together, uh, they're getting a little head start on the process, even if they lose to Cleveland, uh, rather than if they lost to the Raptors. I think that's actually a really good point. It, it it is going to bring a little more of that that second round, that big bigger time feel. Uh, any matchups that intrigue you here? I mean, you've got Andre Drummond in the middle. Does that mean you're going to see Tristan Thompson on him, or do you expect to see more Timofey Mozgov uh, suddenly getting some minutes? I I know that they probably prefer Thompson, but can he handle Drummond inside? Well, I don't I don't know if anybody can handle Drummond inside. I mean, he's yeah. he's such a force. He's so athletic. He's so big. Uh, you know, he's a load, but I think it's going to be Thompson. Maybe, maybe stylistically, Mozgov is a better fit, but Mozgov just hasn't been on that that level you know, really all year. You know, I don't, I don't get the sense that the the Cavs really trust him. I'm, I would guess he'll have a larger role off the bench in this series uh, than he will maybe in any other series in the playoffs. Uh, but I still expect it to be Thompson as, as the primary guy on Drummond. And then you get an interesting point guard matchup between the highly touted and, and obviously very good possible you know Team USA guy because he might have a Duke connection in Kyrie Irving against a, a, a Reggie Jackson who's trying to establish himself, wants to be seen. I don't know that he's on that level, but wants to be seen as a guy nearing that level. And so I, here's his chance to make a little bit of a mark. It is. That, that'll be a fun one, though. I think it'll end up Contavious Caldwell-Pope. That's true guarding Kyrie Moore, uh, but that doesn't take away from, you know, how Reggie Jackson's going to look at and how he will want to make that mark. I mean, he's, you know, he's been up and down in the second half, and, and this is a good chance to, to bring it all together. Um, you know, there's going to be a lot of a lot of pressure on him, a lot of eyes on him that weren't there before, and, and at least with the Pistons, we saw him come up big in some series for the Thunder. Uh, you, yeah. you know, I don't think he shies from the moment. He, even, even in his second half of the season, which wasn't as good as the first, uh, he was better in, in a lot of clutch situations. So, I, you know, this could be a, a good opportunity for him. Yeah, that makes sense. And and you, you move on through that. Uh, Tobias Harris, I imagine, will get some LeBron time and stuff. But this is one of those things where there is no one person who covers LeBron. You're going to have to deal with, um, you know, kind of team coverage on him. And then how do they deal with Kevin Love? Do they, do they handle stretch four as well? Well, I, you know, they're a little more versatile now with the, the Pistons start two pretty interchangeable forwards. Although, you know, nobody is a good matchup for LeBron, uh, <laughs> at least from the other side. But Marcus Morris isn't a, a bad fit. You know, he's, he's fairly strong, and, you know, that's a little bit more of LeBron's game, especially in the playoffs when he'll, he's more willing to go down the post. I, you know, I, I don't think the Pistons are going to win, but they have some of these ingredients where I think they, they could win. Uh, but, you know, Kevin Love can be somewhat of an issue 
if the Cavs pass him the ball, uh, that could get a little tricky for Detroit. I, I don't know if you know you want to rely on Tobias Harris guarding him, uh, but I don't know how much of a choice you have. Yeah. The other thing is in this series, I think where the Cavs become vulnerable, um, if you're talking about you know conference finals or finals, it is that I don't trust their depth. I mean, some nights they they get good play off the bench. Uh, some night, you know, it's, it's a little J.R. Smithy. Like it's just up and down, and, and you don't quite know what you're going to get night to night. And there's not that consistency. But can the Pistons? Are the Pistons really in a position to take advantage of that? If everything goes right, I mean, I I do think the Pistons are capable of winning this series. I. I think this this is true of any Eastern Conference series. I think either team is capable of winning, uh, and so I guess I guess especially if I think this one is this one's probably the the most likely where the favorite will win. Uh, but yeah, if the Pistons get the right breaks, I think they're capable. Yeah, we're going to agree to disagree on that. I don't think the Pistons are yeah have a have a chance as long as Cleveland's healthy in this series. I but I think I think they can at least take a game, and and these may not be. Golden State blowouts. You know the 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 Cavs are going to have to work a little bit for this. This is a Stan Van Gundy's teams don't roll over, and I think that this is one of those situations where they're going to make the Cavs work for the victory, work for everything they get. That's a great point. I mean, Van Gundy's had a you know not that anybody's had a ton, but a reasonable amount of success against LeBron in the playoffs. I don't yeah. know if he has him figured out, but I think he has some insight in how to do this. So we'll move on. The second series actually is one. If I actually now that I think about it, does Indiana stand less of a chance of beating Toronto than Detroit does of Cleveland? Because I really think that matchup is better for Toronto. I I just am not sold that the Pacers can hang in that series. I think the Pacers have have more of a chance than the Pistons. Uh, just just because you know the Raptors aren't aren't quite as good of a team. And I, I like the way the Pacers can play multiple styles. I mean, they, yeah. they can be big, which they've done more lately. Uh, they're still comfortable spreading the floor, going a little smaller. And the Raptors, I don't know. I mean, I still have a hard time wrapping my head around what happened the last two years. I liked them going to the playoffs both yes. years. Both years they lost in the first round. You know, do the Raptors want to be in a series where the, play, where the Pacers – you know, can keep tinkering until they find a way where they have an advantage, and then it's on Dwayne Casey to, to outcoach the opponent. I, I like Dwayne Casey as a coach, but his record the last couple of years in the first round at spotty. You know how he's handled some different situations. It's not. It's not the most confidence building thing. No, definitely not. And and I, I think that you get to a little bit of it, which is that they. You know, I've compared this. You know, I think on this podcast and on radio interviews before that they. They are essentially the Cincinnati Bengals of the NFL. Like that was a great regular season, guys. That's not how we're judging you in Toronto anymore. You yep. have to get out of the first round. You have to show that that you can win in the playoffs. Um, Paul George obviously presents a challenge. George Hill is a really solid point guard. The, like you said, the Pacers are versatile and well coached. Um, Toronto, though, that backcourt has to. It's it, it's time. Like it's time for the backcourt to show up and own this. DeRozan, uh, who has had. It was borderline. I don't know. Was did you have him on your most improved ballot? I, I had him close, and I didn't actually put him on it. But he was a guy I had in consideration. Um, yeah, I had him on mine. And and so you're talking about a guy who's really taken a step forward. Kyle Lowry has been fantastic this year, an All Star, a guy who's you know all NBA consideration type of season. And I, I, I they if those two guys step up, that gives Toronto a huge advantage. But they're going to need. I mean, this is to me their their ultimate key for Toronto 
both in this round a little bit and beyond, which is how much and what kind of Damari Carroll are you getting? Yeah, that'll definitely be important. Uh, I think in this round, I agree with you that a lot of it's got to go through Lowry and DeRozan. Uh, the Pacers, as good as they are defensively, they don't stand out as a team that can that that never fouls. They do foul it. So you know, if those two are driving, if they're getting to the free throw line, which which they're very good at, yes, you know, it, it makes it it narrows the ways the Pacers can win by a significant margin. So if those two are are come to play and are taking control like we've seen so often throughout the regular season. I think the Raptors are in pretty good shape. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think that that matchup works pretty well for them. What What do you think, if, if you're the Pacers and you've got to win this series, what do you need? You need a lot of Paul George. You need vintage Paul George from, like, early in the season Paul George. Um, who else is going to have to step up for you? Are you going to count on Miles Turner giving you some? I mean, where, where are the points going to come from? That's tough. I mean, I you know, I think... George Hill can do a little more. You know, the, the big variable is Monte Ellis can always yes, get hot. That's true. Uh, I, I guess what I like about the Pacers more than, like, saying this is how they do it is that I could see a number of ways, none of which, like, in isolation, I would go, yeah, I really think that'll work. But between all of them, once you see them on the court, you know, maybe they can just, they're so versatile that maybe they could find one as they go before it's too late. Yeah. Uh, but it's hard to see a, a map right now where you go, yep, if they play that way, they're really going to give the Raptors trouble. Exactly. And and this is one of those, though, where, you know, Toronto takes the first couple in Toronto and, and does it comfortably. But somewhere in Game 3, Indiana, you know, at home, fired up by the crowd, finds a way to do something and then finds a matchup they like and or finds a, a system, something that, that works for them. And now, like you said, now you're counting on Dwayne Casey countering it and how does Toronto deal with some adversity um, and that that becomes the question. Like once once Cle- you know once Toronto gets punched in the face, to, to use the kind of colloquial expression, like how do they deal with it? How do they start dealing with adversity once once it gets serious? Because they haven't proven that that's their forte. But let's move on and talk about the four teams that finished with forty eight wins. And I think we can safely say at this point, are there upsets in this group anymore? <laughs> like if you finish with the exact identical records, like I'm not sure that uh, either of the next couple series, you could call it an upset. But um, it, there had to be, a, you know, the mystical tie-breaking ways of the NBA. There have to be seeds. And so the the uh, we are going to see Charlotte against Miami, with Miami giving the home court advantage in that one. That, to me, this may be the most interesting series on the East. Um, I think that this one has the potential to be um, really a fascinating matchup. I'm with you. I mean, both these teams are, are fairly deep. Yeah. Uh, they, you know, there are multiple ways it's go. I, I'm with you. I, I think this is a real fun match. I, I looked what at, do you give the edge to? I, I, I'm almost leaning Charlotte. I looked this up this morning just to do some, some research on this series, and I went only post-All-Star break. So, you know, the post-Chris you know Chris Bosh out of the picture Miami Heat. These teams were almost identical in offensive and defensive efficiency. They were like se- they were both seventh and eighth. Their pace was almost identical, which kind of surprised me. Uh, the one standout difference was that Charlotte had the fewest turnovers per possession of anybody in the sec- anybody in the league actually in the second half of the season. Um, I think that that could be an advantage in a series where Miami, without Chris Bosh, is playing faster would like to get some easy buckets in transition, 
if you're not giving the ball up, if you're really valuing the possessions and not giving them those easy buckets, I, I think that that's an advantage for Charlotte. The flip side of that is, again, I think experience does matter. We kind of talked about this, and Miami has a little of that. They do. I think that's a great point about, about the uh, about the turnovers, and the Heat aren't a, a great team at forcing turnovers no. either. So, you know, I, I guess what gives me a little pause about that, though, is, you know, one of the big benefits of not turning the ball over is that, you know, you're going to get a shot up, and even if you miss, you have a chance to get the offensive rebound. But the Hornets are are so you know, so insistent on not chasing offensive rebounds, about getting back on defense. And, you know, so they're not going to have that advantage. You know, I think this is going to be a, a very defensive series. Yes. Uh, where, where where both teams are, are talented offensively, are good offensively, uh, but they're going to be more focused on defense and, and their systems are geared toward stopping the other when in the times that comes at the expense of trying to get something easier self. Exactly. I think the other thing here is you've got somebody like, look, Kimba Walker generates a lot of offense for, obviously, for Charlotte, um, and, and it's fantastic on it, but when you get into the playoffs and you can really start to drill down on a player, you can start to ta- take away option number one, and if you're a good defensive team, you can take away options one and two, and and it, that means you're going to need to see from Charlotte some of the other guys step up. You're, you're going to need, you know... Not just Batum, but you're going to need to see some guys really start to make some plays for them a little farther down the bench. And and the same goes for Miami. I think it can't just be the Wade show, uh, you know, in isolation. That they are going to have to, you know, they're going to have to get points from Goran Dragic. They're going to have to get points from a, a number of different sources and guys a little farther down the bench. And that may be the deciding factor. Who's, who's third and fourth option plays better? Well, so you mentioned Kemba Walker as you know somebody who could feel some of this pressure that happens during a playoff series. Uh, one guy who stands out to me for the exact same reasons is Hassan Whiteside. Yes, uh, and and a lot of times I think in the playoffs is it is about your strengths. It's about what you do well, uh, but a lot of times it's about your weaknesses. And rather than maximizing your strengths uh, to prepare for the playoffs, it's about minimizing your weaknesses because teams, as they learn you, as they get ready for you can pick those apart and I think Hassan Whiteside has grown a ton during this season uh, but for a lot of the year he's had some fairly noticeable weaknesses I mean he tries to block a lot of shots sometimes gets himself out of position you know you play a team here and there that opponents always changing they they might just fear you a little more they might not figure out what moves are going to get you in the air and then give them an easy bucket but in a playoff series you know that that can happen more often uh, there's been some questions. Again, I think he's improved a lot about him defending on the perimeter. Uh, if the Hornets try and go small, we've seen in the playoffs, especially how teams can scheme big men, you know, out of the game. Yeah. Uh, they could put in Spencer Hawes and give him some trouble. Uh, so I'm I'm very excited to see what Whiteside does in this series, especially with you know the bigger picture that you know he he could be in line for a max contract. You know, he's trying to prove yeah. himself. Uh, he's the guy I have my eye on. And it's a good point. The other thing he does is he, you're talking about playing on the perimeter, he tends to, off a pick and roll, lay back. He prefers to be the guy kind of patrolling the paint and blocking and cutting off that angle from deep. But that can cost you. Like, if they're not, if Kemba's knocking down his shots, if if they're finding shooters who are open because of that, it could be trouble. And if they have to pull him out, that could cause issues. So, yeah, I think, look... Whiteside what sorry Miami Whiteside was not on I uh, he was not on our defensive player of the year ballots either one of us 
um, just because of some of these things. Um, I don't. He also has trouble in the post, but I don't know who's going to body him that much uh, on these teams and, and just be that physical with him. It, it's going to be a really interesting series, though. I, I I'm tempted to think. You know, is this a series where somebody like Luol Deng really steps up and, and has a key contribution? Uh, who, you know, is... Can Goran Dragic give give Kemba Walker... Make Kemba Walker work hard on both ends or are they, you know, switch off on defense or however they're going to do it? But can you really make some of these guys work on both ends and wear them out a little bit? It There's a lot of interesting dynamics with this and two really interesting coaches with Spo and, and Clifford. You know, you say Luol Deng... The guy who stands out to me in, in that's with that same type of question, I think it's going to be Joe Johnson. Yeah, uh, who, that's a good who point. does not shy from these big moments, who's come up big in the playoffs, who's who's played pretty well uh, since going to the Heat. You know, when it's tough to get a bucket, I'd like to have him on my team. Yeah, no, actually, he is still pretty close. Look, you know what? He was vastly overpaid, and that obviously led to you know questions about him but he's a solid to good NBA player still he just if if you got him at the right price he can provide you some value and Miami certainly did because I think that, is he on the minimum or probably pretty close to it yeah at the minimum yeah so um at that price Joe Johnson's really valuable that's a good point he's a guy who's going to give them some some key buckets down the stretch um and that maybe that's enough maybe the fact that you've got Joe Johnson and Dwayne Wade, and and just some core guys who've obviously been to the mountaintop, but but understand understand playoff basketball. Maybe that's enough. We'll see. I, I think that this may be one fascinating series. The other series in the East is also the the last one: Atlanta versus Boston. Boston, you know. I kept wanting all season to say, you know, this is a team that's going to maybe they make the playoffs, maybe they don't. I thought they'd step back a little. They didn't. They are going to be a tough out just because of their defense and because of because they don't have a star, because they don't have versatility. They're so versatile. They become harder to defend. They can go at the weaknesses, whatever they perceive them to be, from a variety of ways because they're not wed to outside of Isaiah Thomas. What are they wed to? Yeah, I mean that he's their dependable guy, but I'm with. Otherwise, they're flexible, and Brad Stevens does a, a good job of finding what works on a given night, and that keeps a lot of people happy uh, because it does change what they like to do. Is this the series, though, or are the playoffs, when you talk about Boston, you know, and you talk about what Danny Ainge is trying to do right now, he look, he's big game hunting. He's like, now we got to get a star. we got to get an alpha, you know, whoever that ends up being. They'll, they'll go after everybody. Is this the, the playoffs when that haunts them? Is, is they go into this series, and you look across the way, and there's Al Horford who you know is going to do solidly and, and be good. And, and be Basically, he's going to be Al Horford. He's going to be good at everything. Maybe not super exceptional at everything, but very good at everything. Paul Millsap is going to make plays and be a pest inside. Jeff Teague is going to make some plays and defend fairly well. You know that they have some all-star caliber. Kyle Korver can shoot. Like They have all-star caliber players. Is this a situation where those guys and that level of talent, even if they don't have the depth behind them, matters more than versatility. Uh, yeah, it might. Um, I mean, I, I think in a lot of ways, the Celtics on paper are built for the regular season. When you have this depth, you're, you know, you can't pare it down into a, a playoff rotation and get stronger uh, like the Hawks probably can. You know, you, you're probably a similar level team in the playoffs as you were in the regular season uh, when a lot of other teams around you are getting better because they... They cut fringe guys out of the rotation. 
in Boston, you know, the guy in the back end of the rotation is not that much worse than, you know, the sixth guy, maybe even the fifth guy. You know, so that, that depth is good in the long run, uh, but it's it's not ideal for ramping up for a postseason run. No, I didn't. I think Teague and Thomas become a really interesting matchup out top just because they both really are kind of engines for their teams. They are. Uh, that could be a lot of fun. I, you know, I, I'm excited to see Thomas. I think, yeah. you know, he's going to embrace this moment and, you know, take this big role. I think I think there's going to be a lot on him to to make sure that the Celtics remain good at not turning the ball over, getting it into the right spots, uh, because the Hawks are a weak rebounding team. If you yes. can control the ball, the, the Celtics are not a great offensive rebounding team, but they're they're above average. But if you get your shots up, if you if you take advantage, you get those extra opportunities, uh, that could be pretty good against a an otherwise strong Hawks defense. And I think that that's actually a really good point about the rebounding, because you've got, in particular, you've got somebody like uh, Jared Sullinger in there who has a healthy backside and knows how to use it and can will fight for some of those. That kind of thing can give the Hawks trouble. There's some second-chance points, some, some feistiness inside. You know, despite the fact we talked about how good, you know, Horford and particularly Millsap, Millsap's a beast on the boards, but you can get them. Like, you can get some extra points that way off them, and that could be huge for, for Boston in this series. Another thing that I, you know, I'm going to keep a close eye on Avery Bradley and Marcus Smart, uh, their ability to to guard on the perimeter, you know, to get into Jeff Teague, to, yeah. to get into Cephalosha, to, to not let the Hawks get those open three-pointers that their system is is designed to get. You get those guys frustrated, uh, it could be tough. Yeah, it is. And that that is the other thing for the Hawks. They they, they played fantastic defense this season. They were, I, I believe they finished second in the league in defense over the course of the season behind the Spurs. Their offense was more inconsistent, but are again, as we talked about, is this something where that's good enough? They can step it up a little in the playoffs. Some of the fringe guys go away, and Corver found his stroke about halfway through the season. I don't know, you know, where he left it this summer, but he went out and found it. They were getting him some looks again, and he was starting to knock things down. And when they're swinging to the weak side and he's knocking down threes before you can adjust quick enough, they they do put up points. They do become dangerous. Yes, and and you know I, you you mentioned Corver and him especially, but but all the Hawks top players. I mean, they're experienced. They've yeah. been through this. I, I think that gives them a slight edge. But like we've talked about, there are, there are plenty of ways Boston can make it tough on them. Yeah, exactly. It's it's going to be a really the la, the second two series, uh, Miami, Charlotte, and then at Boston and Atlanta are really going to be fun adjustment series. Like, you know, you, you talk about, you know, we're not, this is the this is the Eastern Conference discussion. When it gets over to the West, it's going to be a pretty dull conversation because I, I don't care what Memphis does. <laughs> there, there are no adjustments Memphis can make that makes them better than San Antonio. Like, and I, I got a feeling it's a little closer, obviously, in some of the other series over there, but they're not that fascinating. Like, like the West is much more stratified Obviously, in the East, when you've got four teams with 48 wins, those are even teams that the X's and O's and the chess matches and the adjustments are going to be a big part of, of how that all shakes out. And it's not just that the uh, these four teams are, are so even, which they are. It's that all four of them, they have so many players who are two-way players who, you know— it could just go in so many different ways. You can't say, well, if we need offense, we'll go to this guy. If we need defense, we'll go to this guy. Uh, it's it's so much more layered than that. And it's 
you know, the coaches are going to earn their money in those two series. Yeah, exactly. That's going to be a fun one. The assistant coaches in particular. And and for some of these younger teams like Boston, like Charlotte, that haven't been through a lot of playoffs, getting these players to make the adjustments, teaching them what's got to be done. You know, like, again, this is where the experience comes in and understanding what's got to be done and adjusting on the fly. Uh, that is, you know, that is going to matter in these series. It's going to be a, it's going to be fun. And Dan, while you're in Detroit, if you see Stan Van Gundy, like, sipping a Diet Pepsi and throwing a player under the bus... Let us know, because that's always... If he starts doing that, that'll be that'll be good drama. I don't think he's going to do that with Drummond, though. Mm, well, let's wait till this playoff series is over before we say <laughs> what he will and won't do. Yeah, well, I, I I will tell you that I was I was sitting not long ago with a... Uh, at, at having a meal at pregame at Staples with a uh, piston scout whose who's comment on Stan Van Gundy was, I really like off-season Stan Van Gundy. He's a really nice guy in the off-season. <laughs> I th- you know, I think he's become more like off-season Stan Van Gundy. I think he's mellowed a lot. I, I, I think some time away from the game and uh, did that. And I think he also feels secure there. I mean, that's a big thing for him. That, that, that He's not answering to anybody. You know, his mistakes and his successes, both in player personnel and as a coach, fall to him. And... and that can make guys more comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you're your own boss, it's pretty great. Yeah, I wouldn't know about that. Neither do you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Dan, thanks for talking East Players with me. And as we move forward, I'm sure we will talk a lot more. Thanks a lot. And everybody, we will be back tomorrow with the Western Conference playoffs. So tune in. Teets and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.